Friends, this is Hank Fortner, and I am fired up and wired up, and we are going to have a conversation right now about curiosity. Have you ever heard that phrase, curiosity killed the cat? Why in the world do cats get all the credit for being curious? I looked into it. As it turns out, it's actually a misquote of a British playwright in the 1500s who said this, actually. He said that care would kill the cat because it was so independent and didn't need you, and if you cared too much for it, it would die But then it got quoted and quoted and misquoted and turned into curiosity killed the cat. Because if you'll notice, cats are not all that curious. They really don't care. They think they're God. They just sort of do whatever they want to do. So curiosity killed the cat doesn't make any sense. But I digress. Curiosity is a quality that has my attention right now. I can't seem to shake the fact that curiosity is a quality of the 10 people that I admire most right this very minute. And yes... I have a list of the 10 people I admire most right now. It is a revolving list that I've kept since I was in high school. And I po- I'm going to actually post this on my blog next month because I want you to see who these 10 people are. Because I keep 10 people that I go, yes, I'm going to admire this part about this person's life or that about that person's life or who that person is. And I actually have a, a grand prize, which is my epitome of cool prize. And you can ask my family. You can ask my friends. I've had this since I was like 13 or 14. Because as a person who's been uncool my entire life, I've always needed like a North Star or a beacon or a lighthouse of cool. And so I've picked a person that's like the epitome of cool. My friend Scott was the epitome of cool for a long time. My, f- my brother-in-law, Chip, was the epitome of cool for me for a long time. And it just keeps rotating because I go, okay, yeah, that's how you're supposed to dress and talk to girls and act and exercise and eat and look. Like I, would, I needed somebody to be like, oh, okay, that's, that's the case. So I have my epitome of cool and my 10 most admired and I'll – Post that on the blog next month so you can see that. But see, I don't add people to the list because of the qualities that they have. Or that would be like a self-fulfilling list and it would be totally uninteresting. But I actually find people that I admire and then I pay attention to the qualities in their life and do my best to emulate those. Like being mentored by a person that you never meet. I would just go, this is a person I admire. I'm going to pay attention to the parts of their life that I do see, parts of their life that I can find. And then I'm going to emulate those in my life so that I can become a stronger and better person too. And curious minds are everywhere I look. Whether it's the list of the people I admire or everywhere I look, when I find the people that I look to and I can hear it, I see the curious minds and they have this incredible habit or even discipline of asking questions of pretty much everything. And we'll come back to that in a second because this strange thing keeps happening to me. Successful people keep admitting that they don't know things. So I keep having conversations with people who are successful and they keep admitting that they don't know stuff. Stuff like how a computer works. Stuff like, in my mind, these are stupid questions. Like, what is Netflix? Or how does Netflix work? In my mind, things like, who is Justin Bieber? Those are silly questions and successful people are somehow unaware of them. But, but my point isn't that they're asking stupid questions. My point is that they are asking questions and not just pretending to be in the know on cultural things. There is this curiosity, desperate need or desire for the knowledge that if it was there earlier, they would have known who Bieber and Netflix was. But I got this actual text message from this guy. He said, send me everything you can on Netflix. I can't wait to participate. I'm like, how, how do you not know that already? But... What I'm surprised by is seeing people who are successful admit seemingly embarrassing lacks of knowledge without any level of hesitation. 
Because I suppose I grew up thinking that the most admirable people in the world were the ones who knew everything. So personally, as I grew up, I read broadly, I committed meaningless details to memory, and I tried my best to have the right answer all the time. I would even interject, and I was that guy or that kid or that person who would interject with strangers if they were discussing a subject I knew about. And I would interject and go, yeah, it's actually Florida, or yeah, that, that was actually Obama, or that was actually Plato who said that, or that's actually a paramecium. They wouldn't, I would just dive in with these facts. And I know that for my family and for my wife and for my friends, that was obnoxious. But I'm hopeful that someone listening got interjected by me or by another person, and it was helpful. But if I didn't know something, here's where this would really become a liability in my life, not just those social awkward moments, but when I didn't know something, I would just pretend to know. So if I was in a conversation and someone brought up a sports team that I'd never heard of, I would just go, yeah, those guys, oh man, and I would just push my way through. If a person brought up a, an economic thought or a quality or a politician or a foreign policy issue or really even just a brand, I would just pretend like I knew what in the world they were talking about, and then I would Google it under the table on my phone, or I would ask somebody else about that, and then I would be equipped to then circle back, and that's why I would do this. I would have a sense that they knew that I was faking my way through, and I would circle back and be like, yeah, totally, that is such a crazy thing that Nancy Pelosi is doing, because I just wanted to be clear that I knew who Nancy Pelosi was, just in case they had a sense that I was faking my way through earlier. But see, this is a was a crazy zone for me for such a long time, because my most admired list took on this consistent theme. They were people who knew things. But as I've grown and begun to admire a, a different group of people, I've noticed that the quality traits have shifted. And for me personally, I've completely changed my mind on this. The need to, quote, know it all feels like a limiting and heavy burden that I do not want to bear anymore. I want to know a lot about my subjects, spirituality and the scriptures and adoption and speaking. I want to know a lot about relationships and nonprofits and leadership and organizational change. But I don't want these things to limit me, and I want to approach them differently. These are things that I have a deep knowledge of that grows deeper every time I read another book or I experience something or I give another talk or I do it again. But instead of offering what I know in conversation, I've transitioned. Instead of pretending that I know what a person is saying, I'm going to ask. And what I've started to do is I've started to ask really stupid questions. I've started emulating those people in my life, and I've just gone, I'm just going to ask questions of every word I've never heard the definition of that I don't know what it is. I'm going to ask questions of the people that I've never heard of, even if it's stupid and I'm supposed to know that band or that brand or that thing or that person or that sports team. I'm just going to ask. And I take it even a layer deeper when I'm having lunch or coffee with a person. Instead of assuming that I just know who they are, I ask myself, what question has this person sitting in front of me never been asked before about their life? Or what trait do they have that people have overlooked that I could ask about that they would finally feel like someone saw it? See, in my life, I want to flex my curiosity muscle and let it gracefully take the place of the know-it-all muscle. Consider this thought from Sir Albert Einstein, who I'm not even totally sure he was knighted, but if he wasn't, Hitherforth we shall knight Sir Albert Einstein. He deserved it. See, the important thing, Albert says, Sir Albert says, the important thing is to not stop questioning. See, curiosity has its own reason for existence. One cannot help but be in awe when he contemplates the mysteries of eternity, of life, of the marvelous structure of reality. 
It is enough if one tries to merely comprehend a little of this mystery every single day. See, I find it fascinating that the smartest man alive did not know it all or pretend to know it all, and he invited us to ask and to ponder and to, yes, to be curious. See, for me, this is what's missing from the spiritual landscape in the world right now, is that we are actually, and when I say we, I mean all of us, I mean all spiritual people, in the spiritual landscape, there is a fear of wonder, and there's a fear of mystery, and there's a fear of doubting. What happens is that every spiritual space I've entered into, and this goes for everybody, from the atheists to the Buddhists to the Christians, what I find as a regular occurrence is that there is oftentimes a space where we are reinforcing what we already know instead of asking questions about things we do not. Instead of asking questions of each other, instead of asking questions of culture or of ourselves, we are simply reinforcing what we already know, and everyone is guilty of this. I have spotted this in the atheists that are my dear friends who just want to continually reinforce what they already know, the Christians who are my dear friends who want to continually reinforce, and there is a, there is a, a lack of receptivity to questions or to wonder, to embrace the mystery. What that does is it kills the mystery. Albert freaking Einstein is saying that he is contemplating the mysteries of eternity. How could we say that is all certain and totally knowable? We could only say that we too are contemplating those mysteries and these spiritual disciplines, these scriptures, this religion of ours is our guide. But may we always be asking questions and contemplating mysteries. I wonder what it would look like for us to take doubts and turn them to questions and point them towards ourselves and our own faith and our own spirituality because we would discover more. My friend Matt, he always emails me these crazy articles and these quotes and they found Jesus' body and they found this thing and they found out that Buddha was Jesus' uncle and wild stuff. And he always sends it to me, he goes, man, I hope it's okay that I keep sending you all this stuff. And I said, absolutely. You see, because God is who he is, he's not afraid of a single question you could ask. Ask away. Check this out. God is not afraid of your doubts either. Doubt away. As long as your doubts turn into questions, and those questions are sought after and asked. The only doubt that sucks is the one that you bury deep inside and you just go, yeah, I'm just going to let that one stay there for a really long time. That's the one that eats you away. But the one that we lean into and we say, I want to know more, that's the one that helps our soul, and yes, it awakens our brains. Check this out. Curiosity actually has the power to awaken portions of your brain that are otherwise dormant while you're having dialogue or conversation or discussion. More dangerously, if we are not curious about our own spirituality or our own religion or our own spiritual journey, we will short-circuit this part of our brain. Because check this out. The simple ask of curiosity by asking, I wonder, or what is that, or who is that, or why don't I understand that, or how can I find that out? It actually activates a part of our brain that's connected to our reward system. Your brain is more ready, check this out, to retain and process information whenever you have opened up that curiosity space, that reward center, even if it is totally unrelated to the subject. So I'm going to make a jump here. 
when you are having a conversation with a person and you are asking yourself questions, like I wonder where this person is from, or I wonder who they are, I wonder why they talk like that, or I wonder why they dress like that, or I wonder where they're from, or I wonder what I don't know about this person. When you're asking yourself questions like that and being curious, the discovery of those answers activates a reward center that helps you retain that information and helps you process at a higher level and faster. On the flip side, when old know-it-all starts acting like I know everything, what I'm doing is short-circuiting my brain, creating a fear response that means that even when a person tells me something that I should remember, I'm not going to remember it because my brain is so captivated trying to keep me alive. See, it is actually a reversal. It is a short-circuiting of our brain if whenever someone asks a question of us or of our religion or of our life or when we have questions of our own spiritual journey, we short-circuit ourselves by not asking it. We just have a fear response that slows us down. So I make a jump here. Every time I do something creative or productive or every time I sit down to write questions or if I sit down into a meeting, I start by asking questions. I want to get that part of my brain awake and alive before I begin. I wonder what is this person or who are these people in this meeting or how did this come to be or why is this happening? Because I'm activating that part of my brain so that I can produce more. I was just sitting down to write a talk for a trip I'm taking to India and Right before I sat down, I just put, put pen to paper, I held out the pen, and I just started asking myself the question, what do the people of India expect, or what do they need from a white American with a briefcase? They certainly don't need any of those cliched things. They certainly don't need a know-it-all. They certainly don't need somebody who seems to be descending on high with information. And then I started asking myself the question about Indian culture and Indian literature and Indian religions, and then I sat down to write the talk. Because I can awaken my brain first by asking questions. You can do this in your marriage. You can do this in your home. You can do this with your kids. You can do this with your job. You can do this with yourself. Because you see, this happens all around us. The best speakers in the world, the reason you like them is because they make you curious. Curious about the world around you or curious about yourself. The best books in the world, the best stories in the world, they make you wonder. At the very least, they make you Google in between pages because you want to know what is that or you want to know about that stuff. You and I are wired to be curious. But there's a few things that short-circuit that. There's a few things that turn that off. The first one, as I mentioned earlier, is the burden of knowing. And you know where we get the burden of knowing? You know where we get that reinforced in our life is school. My daughter, for instance, she's three and a half years old. She asks me questions every day about everything. She asks me why the sun is the way that it is, why the sky, why the trees, why the people, why the house, why, Cali why is it called California, why is it called Florida? Well, asking me all these questions, why I do certain things, why do people wear underwear is her most recent contemplation. But she's asking all of these things. See, the general assessment is that children are discouraged to be curious when they go to school. Because now someone in the front of the room knows everything and they are invited to know things back in the form of an essay or a test. Write it down on this piece of paper or answer it on the test right and you win. We celebrate in school the know-it-all, not the one who's the most curious. See, the purpose of education is to open our spirits. Modern education seems to have forgotten this. This is from one of my martial arts teachers that I love to read about. It says, he says this, he says, the entire universe is a huge open book full of miraculous things and this is where true learning must be sought. In that spirit, take responsibility and train hard and develop yourselves and bloom in this world. 
That does not sound like what we tell kids. It sounds like we tell kids that we know what we need to know, and by the time they want to get to that next grade, then we are going to tell them this, and they need to, they need to tell it back to us so that they can progress. The first thing is the know-it-all burden. Relieve yourself right now. Let yourself go of the know-it-all burden. The second thing is insecurity. We're worried if we don't know. We're worried that if we don't know or if we ask the question at work or in a relationship that we will be replaced or seen as stupid or seen as unimportant. But all that does is keep our brain away from the reward of asking, of searching, of discovering, of pondering. See, this podcast, Typically Hazardous, is about the adventure. It's about adventures in our life and in your life. But what's just plain hazardous is to not be curious. See, Typically Hazardous is about adventures. Adventures you take because on the other side of it, you're better, we're better, and we're stronger. But just being hazardous is a reckless life. To not be curious in your life is a reckless thing to do because you will miss out on so much. So don't lose the fact that you can be curious when a person says something like, hey, have you ever considered this? Or here's what I would like you to do. Or have you ever noticed this? Or don't start by saying, here's what I know. Begin by saying, what don't I see? Because when we lean into curiosity, we see three things that are really, really important. The first thing when we, when we lean into curiosity is we experience discovery because we find what we are not looking for. I found that the practice of curiosity in my life, it actually generates a discovery pattern in my soul. When I'm looking for my keys or something in my house, when I'm searching for something, have you ever done that where you're looking for your phone or you're looking for something? And then while you're looking for the thing that you're currently looking for, you find this thing you were looking for another time and never found and you're like, oh, there it is. See, it's the exact same way in our life. When you are asking questions of yourself, of your brain, of your thoughts, of your relationship, of your team, of your career, of your ideas, of the world around you, when you show up with curiosity, you will actually discover things that you were not even looking for that will enlighten you about who you are. And it's the second thing we find. Curiosity will bring discovery into your life in a powerful way. It will bring discovery into your marriage when you ask yourself, what do I not know about my wife? What do I not know about my children? What do I not know about myself? And as you begin looking and discovering, why does she do that? Why does she like that? Why do, why do I do that? Why do I like that? Why You'll start to discover things and you will open up the reward center. You will be more productive and functional at life the more curious you are about your own, own life. The second thing you're going to find when you lean into curiosity is that you're going to find enlightenment. This is going to require some interior curiosity. Why do I do that? Why do I feel this way when this email comes across? Or why does this person seem to make me feel this way? But this other person seems to make me feel good. This person makes me feel diminished and small and fearful. This person makes me feel strong and alive and inspired. See, asking these profound questions of yourself you begin to ask these things and you will find growth and learning and healthy living. You will find enlightenment because your brain will constantly search for it and you will be healthier. You will be stronger. The third thing you can discover with curiosity is you'll actually discover community. Because when you're a curious person, people want to be around you. When you're a know-it-all person, people will be around you if they have to be. When you're a curious person, people love telling you things or finding things or discovering things with you 
when you're a know-it-all person, they just dislike and they oftentimes walk away feeling judged by you, feeling like they're defending it. I saw this and see this so much with politics. What just makes me nauseous about politics is it's a constant state of defending what we already believe and what we know and who or what the people who are giving us the money to believe and know is. When I look at politics and I see different things, I don't see conversation. I don't see discussion or dialogue or curiosity or questions. All I see is people saying, uh-huh, nuh-uh, uh-huh, nuh-uh, uh-huh, nuh-uh. And that is making us dumber. This big, huge two-party system is making us as a culture stupider, which is why we should not be shocked that more and more and more we look at the candidates and we go, really? This is the guy? This is the guy who's the first? It's making us more stupid to say that we already know our answers to subjects that we have not even heard out. Why we would choose a two-party system blows my mind because it means that the minute you identify with that party, you have now agreed with every subject that that party decides on. You put yourself in a position where you're short-circuiting your ability to ask complex questions of issues that are so complex and so dynamic. We short-circuit our ability as a culture, as a nation, to evolve and to grow when we aren't curious. I, it's rare to see a candidate. It's rare to even hear people who identify as Republican or Democrat or whatever to be curious. It's rare to hear a Republican go, dear Democrat, can you help me understand why you believe this without being combative? It's so weird to, to, to even hear of, of, a, of a Republican candidate or even an elected official to say, hey, I would love to get these people in the room and hear what I have misunderstood about this if they are so certain about it their whole life. Wouldn't that just be amazing? But see, it's, this is not me throwing out this idea. This is an ancient Latin idea. This is an ancient Roman idea. You know what a Senate used to do? A Senate used to do a thing that they call disputatio, which is the Latin word for talk, to, to converse, disputatio. If we were going to get together to disputatio, it's where we get the word dispute or disputation. We would get together and have a dispute. Now, in my mind, if you said, hey, Hank, could we meet on Thursday? I'd like to have a dispute with you. I would naturally be defensive. I would be wondering why. I would probably find some way to avoid it. But in my mind, to a Roman and to the Latins, if they got together to have a dispute, they would get together to have a discussion and a discovery. Because disputatio was a dispute or a debate that was not a here's what I know, here's what you know dialogue. Disputes were not a cold war of facts and ideas designed to trump your opponent. Disputes were about not, not even about convincing the person of the truth, but of discovering the deeper truth through the questions posed to one another. In an ancient disputatio, in an ancient dispute, your goal was to come with the best questions, not the heaviest or strongest or well-spoken answers. I would love a disputatio with all of the candidates in the United States electoral system right now. I would love a disputatio in our communities and in our relationships. Because what I want to know is where have all the interviewers gone? Where have all the people gone who simply ask questions when they're not sure or when they feel certain and they meet a person who's certain of the opposite truth? Where have all the interviewers gone, the people asking, what? do I not see here? 
because you know what I think I admire here? What I think I've discovered that I is that quality that I admire in the lives of these people on my 10 most admired list is I think I just admire wisdom. Wisdom is the process of not knowing everything. Wise living is not leaning on what one already knows. It's leaning on what one does not know in the hopes to learn. See, wise men and women who succeed and thrive in this life, they learn from everything. They ask why of everything. They ask why of themselves. It was the famous philosopher Epictetus who said, spirited curiosity is an emblem of the flourishing life. See, it's spirited curiosity that I want to have in my life, that I keep seeing other places so that I'm alive. Not so that I'm this quiet, stone-cold know-it-all, but so that I'm constantly asking more questions. Plato, in his writing The Republic, said, I'm the wisest man alive, for I know one thing, and that is that I know nothing. So will you join me as we step into this day or this hour or this next meeting you're going into or the next place? Will you suspend the know-it-all who lives deep inside all of us? deep inside of us when we're having conversations with our spouses or when we feel defensive? And will you ask, will you invite your brain to be rewired and to be woken? And will you open up a new reward center for the information that is in your next step? Will you join me in this journey of curiosity that we would be spirited and curious as an emblem for our flourishing life? And it will be a little bit weird it will be a little bit crazy. But it's C.S. Lewis who said this. He said, the love of knowledge is a kind of madness. I would say the same thing, that the love of curiosity will make you look mad. So let's be a little bit crazy and let's be the curious ones. Let's wake up our brain. Let's learn. Let's discover. Let's enlighten and let's live wisely.